Welcome to Pocha So What. I am Maggie. Y yo soy Lenny. This is episode number two of season one. In today's episode, we'll be chatting about identities. It's a knitting of who we are, how the world views us, and how we want the world to know us as. Con eso dicho, vamos a compartir a bit more about our stories y cómo podemos, queremos, y seguimos transformando el monstruo de las identidades a un aliado. So, Lenny, before we start with this spicy conversation, can you tell us what we are eating? We have hot Cheetos! So, in our first episode, we shared that we would be having some hot Cheetos brought from the U.S. Shout out to Ty, who brought hot Cheetos for us. This in North Carolina to Mexico City. And we have the Mexican hot Cheetos and uh, los hot Cheetos de Estados Unidos. Yes, so like hot Cheetos are kind of like our identities. Like I thought I preferred the U.S. hot Cheetos, but then after 12 years and a half, I tasted them right now, and I kind of like the Mexican ones, saben como jalimón. <laughs> um, but then sometimes I I I don't like ni los de allá ni los de aquí, and sometimes I like both. So like I think it's the perfect analogy that can relate to identities. So. I feel we're kind of like in that third space. So I think we would be like the fries hot Cheetos, maybe? No, también. Mm-hmm. Well, once again, diving into las identidades. As you guys know, we are pochas and proud. And with that, we want to start with an opinion piece that was written by Cristian Ramos titled Pochos, Prejudice, and Spanish Shaming, which was published in 2016. And he shares, as a pocho or person of Mexican descent who doesn't speak Spanish, my life has been affected by a conservative discomfort with a multicultural America since before I was born. I write this for those whose lack of Spanish makes them not Latino enough for some friends and family, yet Mexican enough to be considered foreign or different or worse yet, part of a group of murderers and rapists. I do not blame my parents for not teaching me Spanish. I blame ugly conservative rhetoric for shaming children for being who they are and creating generations of non-speaking Latinos. English-only policies originated from the nativist beliefs inherited in Operation Wetback, the mass deportation program employed by Republican President Eisenhower. In my parents' time, speaking Spanish was associated with being Mexican. And back then, being Mexican was undesirable. Today, that has been translated to murderers and rapists. That makes for a difficulty in our duality as a pocho. There's a desire to return to imaginary homelands of our past as we chafe against the brutal realities of our present. America often painfully reminds us of who we are just as it reminds us of who we are not. If there is any comfort in any of this is that I know I am not alone in my pocho status. To my fellow pochos, I say that every day we are confronted with the choice of being who we are versus who people think we should be. Making the choice to be our most authentic self is not always easy, but it's well worth it. For everyone else, it's worth remembering that the inflamed rhetoric of division leaves scars that last longer than one racist candidate and much deeper than any presidential cycle. I am living proof of that. Wow, that is very powerful. I think that, yeah, like many of his words I can totally relate to. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, and like even the part of like where he mentioned scars, I think like many of us are still juggling with our identities many times 
vienen desde we were kids, ¿no? Como, like, yeah. the bullying or not being able to speak Spanish or just being brown, como... The shame. It still have... We still have to work on it in therapy even now, right? But oh, yeah. a presidential elect, pues, dura, que Six years or maybe four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, what does identity mean for you, Lenny? So, I think tying in, tying in with my pocha identity, I relate to what Christian shared. I feel that it is power and oppression. Power when it is something that I decide to call myself as. Power when it is something that I say I am pocha and proud. I am pocha so what? But once again, remembering as we heard in our first episode, the term pocha comes from this side of oppression to say que eres menos, to say that you are this rotten, discolored fruit, that you have been yanked from your raices, no? So it is also something that people can sometimes point fingers at and say you are not this or you are that. But at this time, uh, for me, particularly within my pocha identity and how identity can be transformed as, it can become power. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that identities are definitely something very complex that yeah. we, most of us, juggle with all of our lives. Um, and I also think that they're very fluid, so, like, they're not static. We, maybe right now I identify this way, but maybe as I grow older and learn more and I realize that maybe that identity label doesn't fit anymore. And I think that's okay. I think that um our identities are not something that can be um discussed or that somebody can give their opinion and say like that's wrong i think there's no right or wrong answer mm-hmm. i think that we choose them and the way we we identify to the world was that that just talks about who we are and and it's continuing to transform even though as you mentioned como está arraigada muchas veces in oppression and violence and like there's a historical context uh, many times uh, they're derogatory terms, pero que at one moment um, or at one stage in our lives, we choose to own those terms. And I think that's where the collective power comes up to de lo importante que es to talk about pocha and proud. And so people that maybe that they feel that they are alone and maybe like the term is still like difficult for them, they can start realizing that there's, an entire community behind it and that people are actually owning to to those terms. But we want to go through a list of labels or identity labels. We identified at one point with them or maybe we still do. Um, So we want to go through the list and you can tell me, Lenny, what you think about them. Um, The first one, as I mentioned earlier with the Hot Cheetos, Ni de aquí, ni de allá or de aquí, de allá, I think is a term that I first started to really, I think the first time that I started to really feel this term was when I realized I was undocumented in high school. And I was like, well, then where am I from? If I'm not from here, but I've also haven't had any connection with Mexico or my family in Mexico. So I think that was the first time that I felt ni de aquí, ni de allá. And then coming back to Mexico, Definitely felt ni de aquí ni de allá because I didn't know anything about Mexico and and I was by myself. And then as the years went by, I think I started to embrace more that I had things de aquí y de allá and that I could be de aquí y de allá. There's still moments where I'm like ni de aquí ni de allá even until now, but I think that's just part of it. Yeah, 100%. That term ni de aquí ni de allá, pues I heard it 
And I remember in the beginning, and even my mom eh, would say when we came back to Mexico, no, that, that que nos sentíamos ni de aquí ni de allá, pero at this moment in my life, I feel de aquí, de allá, and I also feel that nobody can yank out, like, my U.S., side like my childhood my upbringing no but at the same time nobody can yank this side that i have now on this side of the border mm -hmm. and what about wetback so wetback is a term that i think i heard for the first time or started to understand more in high school and it came also alongside with like realizing that i was undocumented um kind of with the feelings of shame and como sintiéndome como sucia and I actually, when I was back in Mexico, I started, I asked my mom, like, how we crossed the border, no? And I realized that we crossed el rio y que llegué mojada al otro lado. Pero at the same time, como decías, a lot of these terms come from, like, in historical oppression. In this case, it comes from Operation Wetback, which was literally one of the biggest mass deportations of our community, where they stuffed our community in boats and in buses and literally left them stranded on this side of the border, sometimes even, like, returning people that were actually born in the U.S. And it is a derogatory term that I take it as, like, pues como una grosería, pero at the same time, I, I, I arrived as a wetback because of their system. Yeah. And what about illegal? Uy, illegal. So I cringe whenever a community member self-identifies as legal or whenever I hear like legal alien, I look at my skin and I'm like, am I green? Para que me digan como alien? Um, but we had a conversation with Dr. Kursavi, who is the author of Illegal Traveler, Give It a Read. And he mentioned one of the biggest things that he would change is change the title from illegal traveler to illegalized traveler to turn from a noun to a verb because we are illegalized by others. We are illegalized by the systems of, 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 uh, of another country or of these borders that have been imposed in us. And we just want to remind everybody, no human is illegal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think also the other term that we have been using is undocumented to actually make reference to the lack of documentation. And I think that's... Um, Pues y como un término that you hear more and is more appropriate yeah. um, when we refer to people that, in this case, cross borders without documents. And what about mixed status family? So I come from a mixed status family, and what that essentially means is que unos tenemos papeles y otros no. In my case, a, my sister, myself, and my parents um, were undocumented in the U.S., and I have two U.S. citizen-born um, brothers. Pero at the same time, eh, I would say one of the biggest consequences of being a mixed status family is family separation. And that's something that we will be talking a lot more in depth. Pero eso es una de las más grandes consecuencias. Yeah, yeah. I think like, yeah, family separation and the relationships, no? How yeah. they're affected by some members having documents y otros no. Como, I think there's like this certain separation within that, no? Como trying to juggle what does that mean yeah uh, but yeah we'll tap into that more and what about generation 1.5 i know it's like a more academic term 
So generation 1.5 was actually like of the first terms that I grabbed onto when I was like on my journey of self-discovering what had happened and who am I in this world. And como dices, it's an academic term that I actually found from the diaspora between like Africa and Europe. And generation one in this case would be like my parents that arrived as adults to the U.S. And then generation two would be my brothers that were born over there. Y it's like, ¿dónde quedo yo, no? Quedo en ese point five, who arrived as a two and a half, three year old, my sister as an eight month year old to the U.S. And we were raised there and our earliest memories are in the U.S. They're not in, in our motherland, you could say. So I always felt in that limbo. And in the beginning, I really self-identified with generation 1.5. But there are many other now identities like pocha that now I embrace more than than these academic ones yeah mm -hmm. e, what about mexican-american so mexican-american i kind of i tie it in with binationality and chicano uh-huh and chicano so más que nada como una persona de mexican heritage that was born in the united states and it's super interesting because nationality has it's like a currency if, if we like kind of look at it so when we came back to Mexico, my mom, and before that, she took out la doble nacionalidad de mis hermanos, because at that time, they told her, like, sáquenle el Mexican citizenship, because if there's a redada or something, mm -hmm. pues tan siquiera el, el Mexican government can apelar, ¿no? For, for them, because son ciudadanos también de México, ¿no? Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> if they do it, that's another thing. <laughs> Pero, eh, one of my brothers is actually a double citizen, you could say, de México y Estados Unidos. While my other brother, who is in the U.S. Army, actually had to renunciar his ciudadanía mexicana to be able to ascender. And we've also heard of countries that actually you can buy citizenship. Yeah, that's really interesting, I mean, because, pues, como es tan fácil como renunciar a ella or just, like, acquire a new one? Y even, like, in the case como or your brother... Una. Yeah, or, like, your brother, que es a U.S. citizen, ¿no? Pero, like, the deported veterans yeah. también en Tijuana, ¿no? Que, like, what about them? They were promised to have citizenship and al final no, and they can even get deported. Así es. And what about the term Latina? So the, the term Latina, I think it, it, it grabs on a lot to like the U.S. Um, como, I don't know, como space. Mm -hmm. um, so like when I was in the U.S., I was a proud Latina. I was raised in the Latin church and donde sentí que viajé por toda Latinoamérica. Eh, simplemente por la comida de todas las personas que estaban ahí. Um, pero kind of tying it in, once you come back to Mexico, like everybody is Mexican. No? Everybody is like... Se, se, nos parecemos tantos, ¿no? Y, y aunque cada vez México se está volviendo más diverso and we're becoming a country where immigrants now arrive to, um, I, I do say I'm a proud Latina still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I haven't used the term yeah. in México. Como like, if I go to the U.S., como que sí prefiero decir como Latina, but yeah, in the Mexico context, como que, I don't know. It, it just kind of feel... becomes a little irrelevant, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more of a U.S. context. Yeah. Um, and, you know, como that ties also to with, like, Mexican, no? Like, in my case, I mean, I know that I was born in Mexico, so all my papers, my passport, my birth certificate say that I'm Mexican. 
but I don't know. I don't really use it as a label to identify myself. I know that, I don't know. I just feel that the term Mexican, como le queda muy corto, y también contribuye a invisibilizar como todas las culturas, idiomas, naciones que hay de comunidades indígenas, ¿no? So, I don't know. I'm still, like, with that, juggling with that identity, but I just feel like just englobarlo en uno solo it like it's como ah pues es todo esto when it's a very diverse place as well y que también bueno pues las comunidades han han vivido como mucha violencia y despojo de tierras y racismo en, en el mismo México so. yeah um at this moment I identify as Mexican and I think I tie it in with my biculturality like I am de México y de Estados Unidos but I want to address and I want to be able to approach from a decolonial way my multiculturalidad, tongue twister, que tengo, que es like from my mom's side, my grandma is chinanteca. From my dad's side, somos familia zapoteca. So I would love to be able to also dig deeper into my roots and understand what that means within me as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think that, pues, you know, también como the term Mexican itself, como habla más de Estados Naciones. Entonces, uh -huh. like, I feel like I even try to identify more, like, translocally, como, ah, pues, I was born in San Luis Potosí, but I grew up in Dalton, Georgia, because it's not like I even say the U.S. It's not like that's I... true. I, I say more, like, soy chapaneca or I was raised in Florida. Yeah, or now I live in Mexico City, but I think that... So specifically, like, all that we've been trying to advocate for, like, translocality, como, al final, tanto in policy level, but in other levels, como... By the way, what's Oda? We'll be telling you more about Oda in future episodes, so stay tuned. But look up Otros Dreams in Acción. Yes. We'll leave you with that. <laughs> and Dreamer, what do you think? First of all, shout out to all the dreamers that are in the U.S. side of the border, que están levantando sus voces, coming out of the shadows, um, and advocating for, for una reforma, no? On this side of the border, it, it, and, and I know in the U.S. side of the border as well, it has become something that is very politizado. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's a term that we've been called here in Mexico. By and, the media, especially. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. By the media and politicians, 100%. And I have rejected it here in Mexico eh, because it kind of overshadows the other members of our community. And it kind of creates this division or classification of being more than el otro, ¿no? Que tú eres la persona que tienes a perfect English, that was educated in the U.S., that's going to come and turn Mexico into a bilingual country when to start we're already multilingual and multicultural. Um, and to kind of also criminalize como el otro o quienes nos trajeron nuestros padres, ¿no? Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like, pues sí, como que trata de englobar a todos under this, like, dreamer. Umbrella. Umbrella. Y no considera todas las otras diversidades y perfiles. There's people that are, like, our parents' age, como son mayores, people that don't speak English fluently, or people that are struggling with addictions or were part of gangs. Like, there's different experiences that I think como que se borran también al decir just, like, everybody's a dreamer. And then if si se borran, pues that means that they're not being addressed, and that means that there are people suffering and going through all of these other things 
pues sin tener apoyo tanto de el gobierno en este caso, pero también sus historias como I've even, ¿no? I've even heard people that they're like, oh, I don't want to be part of like this organization because I feel like my experience como I'm not that bright or I'm not that like I don't fit that profile. So también como que crea divisiones. Even what's in the media, like I've like it's kind of that feeling of like it is dreamer. Sí. Okay, we're gonna tell your story. No. Okay, your story is not worth telling. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And tapping into the term also deportee, like I think that that's another term that in our case they've called us deportee, especially the media también como. I feel like you're either a dreamer, como, okay, we'll tell your story, the éxito, the educación, the, like, all of that. Or you're a deportee, which is, like, criminalizing. Or a historia, sad story. Sobby, amarillista story. Yeah, 100%. And also, whenever that happens, like, we even, like, we, tr we even ask them to correct it and stuff. Not because we don't want to be called deportee, but because no es nuestra historia y no es nuestra voz. And there are community members that were systemically kidnapped, that have been in these detention centers, that have these stories and have these narratives to share. And they should be the ones sharing these stories of what it means and who is a deportee. And in our case, pues, we identify as retornadas. Yeah, que también by calling us deportees, como también se invisibiliza como all of that experience of being a retornada in the process of like, making the final decision of coming back to Mexico or the country of birth. And even though it's not a complete decision, so like the I academia also, like the academia calls everybody migración de retorno, no? Like you're a, a return migrant. Pero dentro de eso está deportee and people that they call it voluntary return, which is another term that we're always sort of advocating that we're not, like we didn't, it wasn't a voluntarily decision because at the end of the day, I was afraid of deportation. I, I tenía miedo bajo la amenaza de ser deportada, or I couldn't go to college, or all of these fears that at the end I was forced to make the decision to come back to Mexico. And I think that's something that necesitamos hablar más yeah. y que no, no lo dice when we just say retornadas. No, yeah, 100%. Que... Like, we, like, it doesn't... Uh portray or como transmitir ese sentimiento like we didn't choose to come for vacation mm -hmm. like we didn't choose to leave our homes and our communities without possibly never being able to go back and I think that's where another term that comes to play and that we've heard is self-deportee and it's a term that others have used and some community members when they arrive use as well how do you feel about that term Yeah, no, I don't really use that term. I feel like at the end of the day, como I get that they're trying to like put that connotation to it, pero pues al final I wasn't deported, no, and I don't think people can self-kidnap themselves. I mean, it's probably, I don't, I don't think it's that common. Y lo mismo con, con a deportation, no, como I feel like there's so much experience in being deported that I couldn't say I self-deported because I didn't. Yo solita no me metí a un centro de detención, ¿no? Yo solita no viví esa experiencia. Yeah, I understand where they're coming from of wanting to transmit, like, it wasn't my choice, ¿no? Pero as well, I, I, I think cada, cada experiencia, pues, um, needs to respect their experiences. 
Yeah, and another aspect that we haven't shared, but I think that's also important is identity, but in terms of documentation. So ironically, when many people return to Mexico or are deported to Mexico, even though we were born in Mexico, we actually find ourselves undocumented in Mexico for the very first few days or even months during elections um, in Mexico. They don't give the INE, which is a voting ID, is the, it's supposed, según is a voting ID, but it's the ID that is recognized a nivel nacional in Mexico. So if you don't have this ID, it can be very difficult to get it. You need testigos. If you don't have another ID, te piden un ID para que saques otro ID. Si no lo tienes, te piden testigos. And if you don't know anybody or you don't have support networks, um, o les digo, si están en periodo elecciones en México, there's like six months where they're not giving um, these IDs. Or even now during COVID, it's been challenging for recent deportees um, or retornadas to get this ID. So I think that that's another struggle and something that many organizations in Mexico are advocating for. And also because in the case of the U.S., like you have so many IDs that are valid, like you have the driver's license, you have your passport, you have the state ID, like there's other documents that you can use um, to identify yourself. But in the case of Mexico, the INE, which is the voting card, has even more peso que the passport. Um, so... I think that's a struggle because people can't rent, you can't find a job, you can't get hired, you can't even open an, a bank account or sometimes not even cambiar dólares y pesos if you don't have this identity document. So shout out to everybody that is advocating in Mexico también and hopefully also people on the U.S. side can start sumándose a esta lucha de, de tener, que se reconozcan diferentes documentos de identidad so that when people arrive, they're not struggling without an identity document. Hasta los documentos que son expedidos en Estados Unidos por los consulados mexicanos no son reconocidos aquí, or they even question sometimes the authenticity of it, and it's like, dude, your own government lo expedió, like... Yep, yeah. even the passport, like if you yeah. get your passport y dice como Kansas or, I don't know, some other city, eh, lo usas acá en México y lo ven, sometimes they, they question the, the authenticity of the, the document. So, mm -hmm. anyways, after going through all of this, Lenny, so who are you? Uy, who am I? Uh, first of all, I am pocha, I'm proud. <laughs> Pero I have been juggling with who am I. And to start, I am Etziba Yorleni Alvarez Perez. Um, Etziba is the name that I used throughout like my whole life in the United States, like in school and stuff like that. Yorleni is my middle name. And I actually realized that I was spelling it wrong when we were doing the invitations for my 15 años. I me cayó el 20 que I was spelling it wrong. And I was born in Las Brisas, Pijijiapan, Chiapas to una partera en una casa de palos, to a 17-year-old girl, while my dad was out in the fields in Ordenia. I am the first daughter of Rocio Perez, a mom whose dad was killed, who she never got to meet, who was raised in La Chinantla, a quien mi abuela le cortaba el pelo because she wanted a boy instead of a girl, who went to boarding school to become a missionary, who arrived to the United States as a 20-something-year-old without knowing any English. I am la primogenita de Eliazar Álvarez López, who would skip school to go break dance, who was raised entre Oaxaca y Chiapas. Soy la hija del tigre. That's how I was identified in Chiapas. 
who in his first attempt to cross the border almost fell into the railroad tracks, who started a landscaping company without knowing any English, who was a pastor, who was jailed up every Friday and would come out every Sunday because of driving without a license, quien le dejaba sus paisanos his extra pair of socks and his tank top porque nos decía que estaba bien frío la cárcel, and who didn't get picked up by ICE but was told to leave the country before he was deported. Soy la nieta de mi abuela Marta, quien vendía en el mercado de Juchitán. The only nieta that she got to see out of my siblings. La que conocimos en su tumba cuando regresamos a México. Soy la sobrina de mi tía Hilda, la mayor de tres hermanos que vive en Espinal, Oaxaca, a la que le pedí que me vistiera de teca because I wanted to feel closer, reconocer y honrar mis raíces. Because while she was putting on each piece and when I looked into the mirror, I felt home. Soy la nieta de mi abuela Cecilia, chinanteca, quien cada vez más se le olvida el español y me dice Lorena, still no idea why, una señora que fue vendida y casada as a girl. Soy la nieta de mi viejo Chiricahua, mi abuelo Tapia, el coyote que nos reunió with my dad in Arcadia, Florida, a retired coyote who without knowing us risked himself to do his última cruzada, the grandpa que nos llevaba for el desayuno al Burger King, quien cuando me besaba mi mejilla, I could feel the tickle of his peppered beer. Beard, soy la nieta de mi abuela Isa, mi abuelita boricua, la que me regaló mi muñeca de 15 años, who died a couple of years after we came back, who taught me to seek contentment in life, quien quería que sus cenizas se esparcieran por su garden under her swing bench para que espantaran la noche. I am that little three-year-old girl que llegó mojada a Estados Unidos, que cruzó el río Bravo en a kiddie pool with my baby sister and my mom. Soy la que llegó al otro lado, la que caminó y cruzó el desierto, that walked the grounds where dreams, tears, blood is shed, where we are illegalized humans seeking freedom from this cage of the supposed civilization. Soy la cara, the life, the story behind the numbers. Soy a returned woman from a mixed status family that came back to Mexico because of the fear of deportation under the era of El Deporter in Chief. I am the stones, the stories on top of many others. And we were reading this book and I'm going to share a quote of this author called Mitch Album that says, it is not until much later as the skin sags and the heart weakens that children understand their stories and all their accomplishments sit atop the stories of their mothers and fathers, stones upon stones beneath the water of their lives. And when reflecting who I am, I am who I am because of all of these people. But I am who I am as well because of el legado de todos los que han estado detrás y los que estarán enfrente de mí that shout and raise a voice to say that no human is illegal to abolish ICE and to stop, and to stop family separation. Who are you, Maggie? <laughs> wow, that was a <laughs> lot of who you were. And I think that it, como si, como dices, um, everything is interconnected. It's interconnected desde nuestra ancestralidad, but also what we do and who we are surrounded with, como all of that obviously has an impact in our identity and, and who we are. So I was born in Tierras Potosinas, hija de padres del Cerro Grande de Cañada, perteneciente a la cuna del Rebozo. Todo eso solamente en los primeros dos años de mi vida. Luego de la noche a la mañana, at the age of two, I became a border transgressor. My first years grew up being Tejana, going to rodeos and state fairs, eating barbecue and listening to Selena. A few years later, we moved to Georgia, so even más hacia el sur. Um, and I think that's where I would identify as my hometown in Georgia. But 
después en 2008, I returned to Mexico justo cuando tenía 18 años. So I think I wasn't even that mature todavía, even though I thought I was. And I think my parents and my family also thought I was porque me dejaron ir como a otro país. Um, but the, regresé a San Luis Potosí and I still like, I felt like it was when you meet a stranger, ¿no? Como, como que no había nada que me conectara con San Luis, ni con Santa María, ni con el Cerro Grande. Como, it was just like, okay. And I lived eight years in San Luis Potosí, still trying to, like, look for those roots in San Luis Potosí where I was born. But I think it was also, like, the years where I felt the most alone and, like, struggling with mental health. And, like, I think I was more feeling regret, que también no era como un buen momento to, even though I was like looking for that identity. And then I come to Mexico City casi four years ago. Um, and I'm a Chilanga, I guess, now as well. Um, I think I feel more comfortable in Mexico City where my community is, where I know that I'm doing the things that I like to do, that I'm surrounded by people that believe in similar things that are doing things to make this world a better place. And I think that's where I feel like I'm needed and I feel like I have my support system. So I think I would say I'm, I'm Chilanga, but I mean, I've also been able to, to cross the border. Um, and it's always a struggle of, as we were talking also the other day, like I'm going to be in Mexico, yeah, 12 years and six months, almost 13 years. So like, ya estoy casi llegando a ese punto where I'm going to be in Mexico almost the same amount of years that I lived in the U.S. And obviously in the U.S. it was my childhood, my teenage years. And in Mexico ha sido como my adulthood. And, and I feel like ya llega un momento in where I'm also questioning, like, is it time to let go of all those memories? Like, some friends are like, you're not going to let go of them. They're part of who you are. But I feel like there is a, a moment where you're just like, I'm not going to share this detail of Dalton or I'm not like we've all moved on. And and I think I'm another person. I mean, obviously is there. But in terms of identity, I think that you do get to different stages where you're still from those places and they're still part of you, but they don't have the same relevance in your in your story or the way you tell your story. So it's a whole a whole process. I think that. For now, I'm going to say that I am Maggie, a border transgressor, a mujer retornada, a pocha, a chilanga. I'm that third space because sometimes es de aquí, de allá, and other times es ni de aquí, ni de allá. I come from the waters of the oceans and the brightness of la luna. Soy semillas de muchas personas que me ayudan a seguir siendo a better person. Thank you for sharing, Maggie. Yes, and... So now we want to ask our listeners more about y'all. How do y'all identify yourself? How does it make you feel? How do you, how, how do you identify to the world? And who are you? We really want to hear more about you. So reach out to us. So, hey, Maggie, let's remind everybody, donde nos pueden escribir and follow. Yes. So estamos in all of our social media, as Pocha So What?, don't be shy. Reach out to us. Interact with us on Instagram, especially. But you can also um, check us out on Facebook, even in our website and Twitter. Those of you that enjoy Twitter. Um, and if you would like to join a conversation, also hit us up. For sure. So, también, what's going to happen for our next conversation? 
So through this first season, we have already tapped into the complex term pocha. Hoy nos pusimos valientes and kind of dissected a bit of the monstruo de nuestras propias identidades. And for our next cafecito, we want to talk more about the process of migrating and living undocumented in the U.S. We're going to be sharing the experiences of Maggie and I, but also de nuestra comunidad. So, no se lo pueden perder. Y si conocen algún pocho, alguna pocha, undocumented, documented, dreamer, chilango, chicano, chicana, etc., etc., community that can relate, mandenles el gift de las pochas. Yes, and also, I mean... If you want us to eat something from Mexico, let us know and we can have our next botanita or little snack while we do our next episode. Or if you want us to eat something from the U.S., we can also eat it. Just send it to us to Mexico. <laughs> so, yeah, and hope to see everybody in our next conversation and in social media. So, bye. Bye. <laughs>